Hi, this is Rose Adams, and you're listening to Brooklyn Paper Radio. Today, we're speaking to Julian Bannister and Yannick Jules Bannister, a married couple who runs a cleaning business that specializes in cleaning hoarder houses. So, hi guys, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. No, thank you for having us. So, I guess to start, uh, maybe one of you could tell me a bit about um, how the company got started and why you decided to call it New Beginnings. So, we started, first off, we started as a regular maid service company. We were just aiming to clean houses and service the community and really just aiming to do nothing more than that. <laughs> but our first referrals were hoarder jobs, decluttering jobs. When we asked family and friends to refer us to people, the people that referred to us had a lot of junk, a lot of sentimental items, not just junk, but mixed and mixed in. We realized, and as we studied this, we realized it was considered hoarder cleaning. Uh, the first job we had was a hoarder job, second and third as well, and that's where the name came from, New Beginning Cleaners. New Beginning Cleaners came because when we realized that we were doing just more than maid service, we took it and we actually helped people in their tireless situations or situations where they couldn't get out of, and we turned their home into a new start, a new beginning, hence mm. the name. <laughs> Yeah, and totally. And it's not that we don't give a new beginning where we do our regular cleaning, residential and commercial, because we apply that same philosophy in every clean that we do. Mm -hmm. But the transformation, um, when you see a hoarder cleaning, it's just remarkable. And so the name was born, because when you think about it, everyone wants a new beginning. It's why we make New Year's resolutions. It's why we say, you know, you have 24 hours to start over. Um, it's because that new beginning is so special. And for hoarders, it's even more special because it takes them from such a dark place into such a light, airy, magically new place. Did you guys know each other before starting the company or were you brought together by We the actually company? knew each other before starting okay. the company. So together we brainstormed on this. Mm -hmm. You guys have talked about some pretty crazy stories of different people you've worked for in different houses you've cleaned. Uh, one that you said spoke to you and that also, you know, when you talked about it spoke to me was an experience in Flatbush that you had cleaning the apartment, I think, of a woman. Could you walk us through what happened there, what that experience was? Yeah, so the first experience we had was a woman who she was uh, in her 80s and for around 10 years she was not letting anyone into the home. Her niece is the one who reached out to us and immediately was emotional over the phone and said, I really need you guys help. My aunt is unable to take care of her own place. Once we heard the situation over the phone, in our head we were like, okay, we can, this is what we do, we clean. But because we have not seen it, we didn't realize the amount of cleaning it would take and the amount of labor it would take and the amount of counseling it would take. Uh, so on that next day, we decided to visit the home and we encountered what was an apartment as it was, uh, but you couldn't see a bed, you couldn't see a couch. It wasn't, you weren't able to walk through anything. It was literally items from top to ceiling to floor and there was nowhere to really sleep nor eat. We encountered maggots, we encountered dead cat. We encountered many papers, papers from 1965, papers from 1980s. We encountered a whole life of this woman, the whole life of this woman. 
and we encountered what was her story. So it, it, was, it was a very emotional process. Uh, and yeah, Yanni. Yeah, and it was a very emotional process because for us it was our very first. And because of that, we hadn't realized the magnitude of a job it was going to be. Um, the mental, the emotional, um, you know, aspects of it. Um, this was a woman who was able-bodied, who was able to do everything for herself, and then she was struck where she wasn't able to move, and then her home was a mess. She wasn't able to have family, so she was also isolated because no one could come into the home. She was a shame, um, and so when we walked into that home, it was just an eye-opener. It was like, wow, there are really people who live this way. And we were so excited to be able to help her because the outcome of it was absolutely amazing. I mean, her family are now able to come over. We're able to help her to maintain that home as well. Um, you know, so that, you know, it helps the family as well because no one wants to go over because they're afraid of what's in there. Um, you know, we deal with bed bugs, you deal with, as he said, maggots and things that you don't really want to be around. And then for her, it takes away the shame because now I'm not afraid for anyone to come visit me. You can come in, um, you know, so it's really, really a remarkable thing. Mm. So she was disabled. She had got become disabled. Um, what happened there? She. So her story was that her back was broke. Her back became injured. Uh, she used to be a, she was in the modeling world. She did a lot of things in the art world. And that was her, her talents, needed her back, needed her arms. And these parts of her body were not able to move as they used to. That then caused depression. It then caused shame. It kind of took away her livelihood, if you ask me. And, and, and that's how she explained it. When you are depressed, you know, mental issues, as we're speaking a lot about in this country now, where people are just not able to think the same, walk the same, act the same, and, and, and you become comfortable with your surroundings. You, our, our theory to a lot of this is people, you live what you think. How you think is how you will live. And we've seen that in many cases, and that was what we learned a lot from her case alone was her story basically illustrated what was happening in her home. So it's almost like her home became, and this is something you described in other cases too, like this part of her mind was sort of, became her home. This like darkness that she lived in mentally was embodied in her, the state that she lived in physically too. Yeah, absolutely. And if we think about it, we are creatures of habit. It says that it takes about 21 days to either break or develop a habit. And when you become depressed, and it's continual, when you're not able to go to the sink to bring your dishes, they start to pile up, and you start to think, not that it's okay, but it's like, uh, it's just how I live. You know, this is just what it is. So just as you said, your mental ability translates itself into, you know, a physical appearance of, of what that person is feeling. Mm. There was another instance you talked about too, about a woman who, um, was still sort of, you know, mourning and getting over the death of her son. Can you talk a bit about her story and that that whole project? Yes. So that is a that definitely is a perfect example of what we were just saying. Is this this lady uh, in her mid sixties? Uh, I think at this at the point that week when we cleaned her home, had lost her son on one of the highways in Brooklyn. 
uh, at 11 years old, the car had crashed and blew up into flames. This accident occurred in 19... I want to say 1988 or 89, if I'm correct. However, the way that the home was and what she kept, such as stuff, animals, school books, book bags, etc., and just many more things or possessions of her son, you would have thought that this accident happened yesterday or that day that we began to clean. The keeping those items or those possessions was a reminder for her that her son was living. However, it was not helping her health, her well-being. Uh, this house, this particular house, was infested highly with roaches. I, I believe we spoke about this before in which once you open one cabinet or one refrigerator or if you touch her sheets, the roaches were swarming on top of your arms. This is the first time that Yannick and I have witnessed that roaches had no fear of being around human beings. That was a first for us, even to the point where they were crawling on the ceilings. Now you would say, well, oh my God, how does this not give you, how do you not squirm? Or how do you not feel you know, uncomfortable with such an environment? Well, for her, this became even more serious because once we began cleaning, we realized that she, not only were the roaches living there, but she did not want to kill them. Once we decided to kill one or two, she was not happy with that. And verbatim, she said, you cannot kill God's creatures. She knows that the environment is toxic at this point, infested. But for her, the comfort was the story that lived in the home. But again, in that situation, we had to have a conversation with her to remind her, it's not about the story that you've lived, it's the story that you want to have in the future. Your son lives in you, he, you can keep great memories of him. You have beautiful pictures. We, we clean those pictures. We organize them. We have his yearbook. We have things in which remind you of him in such great positive ways. So we want to take away the toxicity. We want to take away the infestation. We want to take you away from things that should not remind you of your son. Mm -hmm. and, and that's how we kind of get through to a client like that. And so she clearly saw these roaches as a symbol of life mm -hmm. that she missed. Was that her kind Correct. of reasoning? Because one of her, the things that she said is, um, you can't kill God's creatures because it's what happened to her son. So for her, killing anything um, just reminded her of what happened to her son. So not killing a roach, um, not you know getting rid of the bed bugs, et cetera, was just her saying that, you know, I'm not going to get rid of anything that has life. And so for her, anything in her home represented life, and anything that represented life reminded her of her son, and she did not want to get rid of it. Mm. So it was really just reasoning her in terms of this is what's healthy, this is what is necessary for your own survival that made her change her mind. Absolutely, and when you think about it, we also help to understand if your son was alive, would you want him living like this? Would it be a healthy environment? So let's think about him as if he still exists. How would you want him to live? And would he be happy to know that his mom lives in a situation where her health is at risk? Um, you know, you have to continue living for him and have sort of a legacy and living in a toxic environment is not doing that. With her situation, it's pretty clear that, you know, her attachment to the stuff is based on her son and that trauma. What is usually the reason that people become so attached to like paperwork from the 90s or 
bottles or random things that they don't throw out? What, where does that sentimental attachment come from? That's a very good question because I always, and we've always said that everyone has a little bit of a hoarder inside of them. We all want to keep things that mean something to us. If you were a principal 10 years ago, that was your title, you were proud. If you graduated from NYU, sometimes you want to keep all those papers with you reminding you, hey, I graduated from NYU. Or you may just have this toy as an adult and you'll be surprised. Sometimes those toys are sentimental to people who are adults now that had a, those toys when they were 13 years old. We all have a little bit of that inside of us. And it's important to remember that our, there's a saying that says, you know, clutter, ro it can rob you from your, the story you once have, or it can rob you from the vision or the future you wish to have. And sometimes removing what may, not, may be, you know, junk or mess to one person is so sentimental to another. So I think that it really, it really comes down to what means something to somebody. Every situation is different. Everyone has something that just means something to them, but it's how you organize it. How do you take care of it? How, do you, how much do you really care about it? And that is the essence of our company. You know, we're, we're not here to get rid of your memories or get rid of your story. We are here to preserve it the right way, to remind you that it is a story of pride, it is a story of good times, a, good, a story of memories, good memories, and we're only here to give you a new beginning with that story, not to take it away. Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, it's true. I feel like something I've thought about too is like I have 15,000 photos on my iPhone and like I don't have room on iCloud anymore and I have to go through and delete them. And it's so hard, Very even true. deleting, like, when there's 50 of the same photo, it'd be like, but which one should I delete? It's this kind of mentality I feel like we've been maybe instinctually have where we don't want to get rid of something because we could never get it back. But it's so also something that sticks with me that you guys sort of talk about. I feel like hoarders are often portrayed in this, like, gross sort of crazy way that's so distant from how we like to think of ourselves non-hoarders. But it, it definitely strikes me how compassionate your approach is. Do you feel like that's something you've had to hone home over time or that it's a very much a mission that you started with, that the compassionate approach? Yeah, I would say absolutely. Because um, we've seen the show Hoarders. And even before we got into the field, there is a sort of vision of who a hoarder is and you know how they became that way and it's no it's somebody who's just deranged and they're not doing well and how no that could never happen to me or my family member but when you realize and just as we spoke when you listen to the stories of who these people are when you see um the things that they've also earned or achieved in life like some of them um, were millionaires there's one that they were millionaires they have plenty of brownstones so they're not people who we would think have nothing in life or, or, or have anything to achieve, but people just get into a rut is what it is. You get into a rut, you get into a daily um, activity and it becomes your pattern of life. So for us, when we went in, that first part of the consultation is so, so important because it helps you understand the story. 
And if you understand the story, you can have compassion. If you understand why someone is doing something or why they got there, then you have that ability to help them and the desire to get them out of it. And I think that is very true. You, it, to, I think when we started this, this mission, this company, and the birth of the company being the first hoarders, we automatically had compassion because it's what brought us to helping people in this state or dealing with clutter was because you, you couldn't approach it any other way. And the reason for that is just like Yannick said, these are, you're talking about in most, a lot of cases we've had 30 years of items, 30, you know, 30 years of profession, whether that's a principal, whether that's a doctor, whether that's a, uh, a veterinarian, you know, these are different professions that we've dealt with. And, and in general, even if they're not older with much success, we've dealt with 30 year olds, 29 year olds, and, and the list goes on, and, and, and it's all about what what you're going through, your experience, uh, your story. And if you don't have compassion, well, then you can't really help them because it takes compassion to break through anger, to break through sadness, to break through anxiety. To break through this, you can't use the same thing that they're going through. You can't get angry. You can't fight fire with fire. You have to fight it with compassion and love and care because they will know that you care about them. And that's what allows them to bring us in their home and allows us to do the process with them. Mm -hmm. What are some of the fatal kind of combinations that you know lead to a, someone sort of becoming a hoarder and going over the line and collecting, starting these habits, these really, these habits that lead to, to being a hoarder? I, I would say there are several different reasons, but the top reasons can be, as I said, in the, in the beginning, we all have some part of a hoarder inside of us. So it can easily start with that little pal in the corner that you just come in the house, you throw it, take off your clothes, you rush into bed, you throw it in the corner, you don't put it in the hamper. Or it could be you're sitting at the desk working, you fall asleep, your papers are left there. However, once it becomes ongoing and it becomes plentiful, then it becomes a question of your mind. Where is your mind? Is your mind here or is it somewhere else? Is it, has it taken you somewhere else where you're not able to focus on your sanctuary, your home? And, and that's where I believe a lot of it starts is you may be working home and you, you're concentrated or you have that person who may be working but they just got out of a divorce. You understand? So you're not thinking, oh, let me just clean this up. You're now going from work and definitely being in a place like New York City or any, any big city, you may have a fight happening in your mind, but at the same time, you're working hard and you're running around and then there's not enough hours in a day. And it just takes a few days or a few hours and, and you realize that's where it starts. It's mm -hmm. between the mind, your obligations, but mostly the mind. Mm -hmm. Where are you right now? Is there a lot of loneliness usually a part, as a part of that, a lot of solitary time? that um, can kind of lead to these habits? Yes, um, I would definitely say that uh, the persons that we've seen, uh, it definitely boils down to their mindset. So you see persons, they get so wrapped up in what's happening in their mind, just as you said, their divorce, uh, their child dying, some tragic life experience, or not even tragic, uh, but just something that, change the way that they saw things 
and they get wrapped up in that they go home and they no longer have the desire to live as they used to and they don't even really see what's in front of them because when we've encountered these places a lot of them they see it but they don't see it they've become so used to living in it that what we see physically is not as important to them as what's going on mentally so it's always important to understand the mental because that is always the most important thing because that's what sort of got them to the place they're at. And and to also answer that, looking at the other side of the spectrum, a lot of them don't deal with loneliness because sometimes they're living with a lot of family and home. And like Yannick said, they if they're not, then they can get lonely. But there are those that we have seen as well who will go outside, go to a party, go to a, a job function as a teacher, as a doctor, go do what they, they're doing, go to an after-work function, and you would have no idea. So it would become, a, the loneliness becomes when they get home, right? Because outside, like Yannick said, they are, sometimes you won't, you have no, a lot of time, actually. I think it's fair to say many of the cases in which we've had, the majority of them, you wouldn't know if you saw them outside. You wouldn't assume, oh my God, his house or her house is very cluttered. It has a bad story going on. You, you just wouldn't assume that. We have several clients in which we can say they, they come out very sharp and, and they have their suits on and they have their, you know, their shoes and the newest shoes. You know? So you really have no idea. And it's all about, like Yannick said, in the mind, what one is thinking. And, and once you get to understand them, and, and a lot of times when you live somewhere like New York City, where everything is on a hustle bustle, rush and rush, we as humans living here sometimes don't take time to say, how are you? What is your story? We're not thinking about that, a lot of us living here, when we should. Sometimes, you know, th so it's hard. You, you really won't know. Mm -hmm. So kind of pivoting back to your business, are how long have you guys been around, first of all, and do you have any forward-looking plans? E well, <laughs> yes. So we do have plans. We've been around. So we started the company in 2016, right? And we really got the process and everything really, I, I would say, moving and going in 2017. Everything, all of machinery, all the process, the trucks. We partnered with Exterminator. So we really got the whole company moving then. Uh, and new plans. Uh, well, a few new plans is really continuous expansion, really getting the word out there. Everyone has someone that they know is a little cluttered. And I think one of the biggest plans that we have is really just expanding uh, the, the conversation. The conversation is what needs to happen. A lot of us don't want to talk about it, or we have that family member, it's like, it's like a silent thing. Like, you know, Aunt, Aunt Susan lives like that, or Uncle Joe lives like that, but we're not going to talk about it. You know, it's not a, So the conversation and being okay with the conversation, which would then lead to you actually knowing your uncle or your cousin better and helping them out. Because you can't help somebody if you don't know they're in need of help. So that is one thing, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And we, as Julian said, we started in 2016, and it was a learning curve for us as well. We were new to it. But in 2020, we sort of feel, feel now that we have a handle on it. We understand it. We have a process now because we've done it so many times. And so we want to open that conversation. We want people to understand that it's, it's okay. You have to start somewhere. We have to start somewhere. And if you don't allow that first day 
that beginning, then you won't get to where you want to be. So we want people to understand that it's it, it's okay. You have a family member. It may be you. No one's judging. Everyone's afraid of being judged. And when we come in, we come in with no judgment. We come in just to understand and to help. And that's where we want to see our business grow. We want to see um, more persons come forward. We're able to help them. Um, our vision and our mission is that everyone lives in a clean and healthy environment. That's why we started this business. That's why we believe in, in, in clean and eco products, because we really believe that a clean environment breeds happiness, it brings joy, and it just makes the world a better place. Great. Well, that sounds like a great place to end. Thank you guys for coming in and taking the time to talk to us a little bit. And if anyone out there needs some cleaning services, you can check out New Beginnings at their website, uh, which will be linked below. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. Thank you very, very much.